Welcome, fiends, to Handle Whiskey. We are a horror podcast presented by the Slashing Cast Podcast Network, discussing horror movies and the phobias they emphasize. I'm your host, Tumbley Drunk, and with me tonight, as always, are both of my co-hosts. We have Holly Hooch and John. Guys, how are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing really good. I uh, attempted some Bailey Sarian makeup, and it didn't go so well. I almost didn't turn on the camera today. <laughs> but I'm going to be brave. I'm going to be a brave girl today. Let's mm-hmm. do this. Is that what they call the smoky glow? It is. <laughs> <laughs> it was my attempt at it. Oh, man. Let's move this along. <laughs> <laughs> what? We're not uh, We're not switching over to, like, a glam podcast? Is that what, you, is that what we're going on? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I think maybe we can have a version of that where, I mean, sure, Bailey Sarian already has a sh- ton of copycats. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could do the one where I can try doing my makeup while we talk about horror movies, wow. and I just do it badly, and then I make people feel good about themselves because I'm so bad at my makeup. Yeah. Well, at least we're not her. She's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. doing all right, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so throughout April, we'll be taking a look at... Uh, in in Temophobia, which is the fear of bugs. And, you know, last week we sat down to talk about uh, the fascinating and also bewilderment that is Dario Argento's phenomena, uh, which, you know, a movie I had not seen in quite some time. And, uh, you know, tonight's flick is also one that I hadn't really seen since I had rented it on VHS uh, when it came out. So... Uh, We're going to rewind the clock a little bit on Guillermo del Toro's career by talking about Mimic, which was released in 1997. Uh, But, you know, before we get there, just a couple of quick podcast notes. Uh, So starting next week, we will be live streaming our show on Twitch at twitch.tv slash handle with scare. We'll be doing that moving forward uh, starting next week. Uh, Outside of that... Uh, just a friendly reminder, we are also doing our watch parties on Stream Lounge. That's every Thursday night at 8.30 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, this last week, we watched Chopping Mall, which was obviously a big inspiration for our Synthwave sounders. You know, our intro and our outro for the podcast. Uh, and then throughout the rest of the month, we're going to be watching Puppet Master 1, 2, and 3 as those had just dropped on Shudder. Uh, within, you know, the past week. So I'm looking forward to revisiting uh, some of that franchise. So that is on Stream Lounge every Thursday, 8.30 p.m. Pacific time. And, you know, it's always a good time there. Uh, and, you know, if you guys want to support us, you can do a couple of different things. we got merch available on TeePublic uh, at tpublic.com slash handle with scare. And we also have our Patreon at patreon.com slash handle uh, with scare. Where, you know, we have tiers starting at just a dollar a month. And uh, you can pick phobias you can pick movies for us to review and uh you know we have early access to our content all of that good stuff so you can find that all there on that front uh but yeah tonight we're talking about mimic which is definitely uh in oh, an interesting like a monster type movie uh you know it, i i thought it was really intriguing that both of the first movies that we've talked about this month actually has like in in entomologist in it so people who study bugs and it's kind of like a pivotal character uh in both of these movies i mean who would have thought that with this phobia we would actually have a character revolving around the actual profession well, I would hope so if you want to, you know, crank up the science in your movies, right? <laughs> and they both do that. I mean, this movie definitely has a shit ton of uh, instances where it's like, well, when if you study this, this, or that, you'll see it's a female. This one's a baby. Mm-hmm. We gotta find the the we gotta find the fertile male. <laughs> I sorry, I don't I don't know if you can tell by my eye roll that I think the movie could have been a little better. <laughs> yeah, this movie. Had some iffy qualities for sure. And I'm a big fan of uh, Guillermo del Toro. I think he's an amazing director. And um, I, I, yeah, let's continue. I had a lot of thoughts about that. Yeah, there there are definitely things in this movie that work. You can definitely tell 
Uh, this is a Del Toro film based obviously on the style, but this is still really early in his career. This yeah. was his sophomore effort. Uh, I would say, I'm sorry, I'm going to challenge that a little mm -hmm. bit because Kronos, which was before The Mimic. I was, I was about to get into that, yeah. <laughs> it's an amazing movie. It's, mm -hmm. it's really outstanding. I remember I cried like a baby when I watched it. And it's just what well, I, I just, um, I think we mentioned last week that there was a lot of interference from the mm -hmm. studio on this movie. Yes. And I can definitely see that happening. In fact, all of my issues with the movie, I can see being uh, issues not brought up by his talent or his vision, mm -hmm. but because of the, the way they had to negotiate this movie out the gate. Right. Uh, so Del Toro actually made his directorial debut, as you just mentioned, uh, with the 93 Mexican indie horror drama Chronos. Uh, so Mimic was Del Toro's like first like Hollywood production. Uh, so I, it, technically speaking, this is like his sophomore efforts uh, directing wise. Uh, but you know, we a couple of interesting tidbits. We had the Hollywood debut of Norman Reedus, who you know for horror fans probably know straight from uh, The Walking Dead is Daryl. Uh, and this was a film that was initially planned on being like a thirty-minute short film. Uh, based on this 1941 short story of the same name. Uh, and it was meant to be kind of like uh, the short film in a, like a collaborative effort in like a sci-fi horror comedy short uh, collection from Miramax. Uh, but, you know, they decided to expand on it to like a full-length feature. And then some of the other stories that were kind of planned for uh, this collection were also expanded to their own uh, movies themselves, uh, neither of which I've seen, uh, but you had Imposter, which was released in 2001, and Alien Love Triangle, man, what a bland title, <laughs> which was, uh, released in 2008, uh, Imposter sounds familiar, is that the one where, with Jeff Goldblum, <clears throat> is that the movie where there's, like, a Dead criminal possessing people, and Jeff Goldblum is like the detective. That would be weird if I, if that's what that is. Okay, but, I'm, try I'm trying to look it up really quick. <laughs> yeah, I'm stalling for while well, you can hopefully find a little synopsis or the cast of Imposter because I think I may have actually seen that movie in the theater, and it was not really a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. I think Jeff Goldblum is in it and plays uh, like a detective. Let's see. But I will say, as he looks for that, uh, that Guillermo del Toro is definitely one of my favorite directors. And I, I don't know if uh, Devil's Backbone came out before Mimic, but that was also one did. of his early Yeah, that movies. was really good, too. See, that's and, the thing. I mean, I didn't even re remember that Mimic was one of his movies. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing it back in the day. And there's, you know, a couple of different things you can sort of object to in the movie. I mean, my, my I guess the, the more superficial one being that having just really incredibly attractive people like playing these like scientist roles, which don't get me wrong, there mm -hmm. are very, very attractive scientists out there. I've met one, <laughs> but there's so far a few between that you're like, really? <laughs> Right. And uh, I feel, and I, and I think Mira Sorvino is a, is a good actress, but you know, you evolve as a, as an, as an artist as you go along. And I feel like, you know, this might've been one of the movies where I don't really felt, I didn't really feel like she really carried the movie super well. They're upset it. <clears throat> okay. So I can't find the actual, uh, alien love triangle movie. The imposter that was released with this, uh, is not the one you're thinking of. That's not to say it's not the same title. Uh, but I'll read the synopsis really quick for this, uh, for this imposter. In the future, an alien race uses androids as bombs to attack Earth. A government uh, weapon specialist is accused of being one such android and sets out to prove his innocence. <laughs> it's a Philip K. Dick story in here, I see as well, which is interesting. Uh, definitely, uh, you know, uh, Blade Runner, androids, real people kind of thing. But I have to say, too, that uh, Devil's Backbone, Guillermo's, one of his early movies, is the movie that turned me on to Hellboy, mm -hmm. the comics, because in the, direct, in the director's commentary of that, he talks about how imagery that he use, does in that movie, he sort of 
took from Mike Mignola, the artist of Hellboy. And then, of course, interestingly, Guillermo del Toro went on to make the Hellboy movies uh, as well and you do a lot of that image, imagery directly. So, And, I, and for also, just to throw it real quick, I believe from some of the interviews I've seen with del Toro, Mimic is kind of the movie that he sort of tries, his, I think his only movie tries to sort of disown a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he sort of passes it off, you know, like writes it off as this, as studio interference basically ruining or, you know, not letting him make the movie he wanted to make, basically. Right. All right. So with Mimic, uh, as we kind of alluded to, Del Toro was definitely at odds with the Weinsteins. Uh, go figure, who would have guessed uh, during production where Weinstein threatened to fire Del Toro at one point uh, he and, sleep with him. and replace him with another director. Uh, and, you know, it got to the point where uh, even production was halted. Uh, so wow. Mira Servino actually stepped in, which led to Weinstein kind of like backing down, which allowed, you know, the principal photography and stuff to like be completed, uh, you know, with Del Toro. Uh, this was, you and know, yeah. early 97. Mm-hmm. And I think I remember Mira Servino being one of the, the, the actresses that stepped forward, uh, saying that she had negative interactions with Weinstein. Um, I can't remember what she said exactly, but I remember her, I think her being involved in all that. So, mm. yeah, so right. Del, Del Toro was upset with uh, the theatrical cut of the film, uh, but would re-edit a director's cut for DVD that was released uh, that was closer to, you know, his original vision. Uh, and, you know, he's gone on record to say, like, you know, this was the only time that, uh, you know, he had experienced bad behavior, like, on set. And it was one of the worst experiences of his life. Wow. Oh, that's awful. So he, that was, he was referring to the Weinstein when he said bad behavior on the set. I, I think it was just primarily just from the, the Weinsteins. Would be yeah. my assumption of that. Wow! Yikes! Those guys suck. I think that was the it must be the only movie he made for them too. I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but and you can feel like you can tell that this movie is where, that the production was stopped and restarted and messed with because it sort of feels like two different movies mashed together in a way. You know. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but the first half of the movie feels like a different movie from the second half of the movie, basically. Well, the second half of the movie, it just takes place in the, in, in the, in the subway system and the sewer system. So you kind of don't get the sense of being in the, in in a similar space that you were before because you aren't. Mm. Um, And then of course the first part of the movie was just trying to, um, awkwardly develop like emotions for some of the the characters. Like mm-hmm. we were talking before about that w- uh, awkward little like you know pregnancy conversation scene that that happens between Mia Servino and was it Jeremy Norton or whatever his name is? I forget. Let me look it up. Forty five minutes into the movie, they introduced this pregnancy subplot that goes nowhere. <laughs> I feel like it must be connected with either the studio cut or Guillermo's cut because there's a really awkward ending at the end of that scene where the the pregnancy scene ends and then there's an edit and then there's like 10 more seconds of the pregnancy scene and then they go on to another scene and it, it literally feels like they just took that scene and just inserted it into the movie you know, the back Great. Of the it was weird and the whole, sorry, not to interrupt, but the whole pregnancy, uh, the fact that she, they, it came up negative and then after, later, it comes up positive and she doesn't know, but he does, never plays any factor into the movie in any way. I didn't understand that. Yeah. Um, I'm going to switch the region on the Discord really quick. To see if I can clean up your audio a little bit, John, because you're a little robotic. But if I switch it, it'll probably just fix it. Okay. And it's not just your normal robotic voice. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm glad things are working smooth on everybody right now. Okay. So hopefully, it's just uh, everyone's coming through. All right, okay. let me let me switch it real quick. I didn't let him come over and hang out this week. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't want to put on pants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's just record from our own apartments. 
and and we weren't sure exactly who uh, or like how you know like when we would start or what you know you know it hit me the part that hit me the most about uh feeling like oh here's the del toro movie was when um they started doing that scene where i don't know if it's like a water treatment area mm-hmm. of the city and you had all of those uh people in like those 1950s rubber jackets and like cylindrical like you know eyewear protective eye eye gear like scrubbing shit i'm like who dresses like that in 1997 mm-hmm. um well <laughs> Just, just the the nihilists and goths, but yeah. <laughs> yeah so, uh, but I I know they also made like two sequels to Mimic that went direct to video. Uh, you had Mimic Two, which was released in two thousand one, and then uh, Mimic Three, Sentinel, which was released in two thousand three. Now I have not seen either of these, so I can't I can't say if they expanded on anything in regards to the story or mm-hmm. uh, the Judas Bug or anything like that. Uh, I've mainly just heard that the second one is terrible, and I don't know anyone who's seen the third one. So, I haven't seen either of those. I've seen I'd seen the mimic before, but it was closer back when it came out mm-hmm. when I was a teenager. Yeah, so I I will say on Tuesday, you know, we had watched mimic, and then after that, we watched the relic, uh, which was also released uh-huh. in 1997, and I I thought that was that was an interesting pairing, primarily because both of them take that sort of science type approach. Uh, but neither of them are really well done in that regard. So then when you just, like, kind of, like, compare them side by side, you're just like, okay, well, which one has the better creature effects? And, uh, I have to say, it's definitely Mimic over the Relic in that regard, even though, being from, you know, Chicago, obviously I have the Relic kind of, like, in its own category, because it it hits close to home since it all takes place at uh, one of our museums. The bugs in Mimic weren't bad. They were pretty good. And, uh, you know, they, they they caught that sort of uh, fast movement that's so creepy about bugs because you can't keep an eye, your eye on them. And um, they had lots and lots of goo, which is always fun in a in a, in a bug movie. What else? Um, although I have to say, you know, the whole, like, uh, uh, part of the plot where it's like, we released this gen- these genetically altered cockroaches into the sewers of New York. Yeah, it was a, apparently a team of two. Like, two people were given, like, the task of, like, releasing genetically modified cockroaches. And incidentally, they were dating and trying to have a baby. With <laughs> 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 just a couple of holes that I couldn't look past. She's like, what have we done? I'm like, didn't you have a team? Wasn't there, like, a lot of sign-offs from other higher-ups? Mm-hmm. Nope. Just Mira Servino trying to save New York from cockroaches. <laughs> the problem, like, I had with that aspect of the story was that uh so they, this is actually something they do in real life like they'll create yeah. like a genetically modified mosquito and release that is like sterile and they release it and it breeds with them and then there's no new so it's, it's actually something they do for real yeah. and it's generally positive and what was funny about that was that when they discovered that there were still potentially these cockroaches living past their expected lifespan. At that point in the story, they didn't, there had been no connection made between the murders and the cockroaches yet, but they treated the fact that the cockroaches were still alive as this really potentially terrible thing. And I kept thinking like, why is it so terrible that these things lived on? Because really all they're doing is living their lives as cockroaches and preventing this other species of cockroach from breeding or from living, you know? And so... You're siding with the wrong guys, John. (laughs) (laughs) Into human-sized cockroaches. And they did clean up the sewers. They ate all the rats down there, remember? (laughs) Yeah. It was like a really weirdly incidental side thing that it's like, oh, by the way, they also just mutated into giant cockroaches that have decided to eat humans. Yeah. And then they said they've adapted to look like humans to because of that's their main pr- predator or something. And it's like, like they, really? w- were they wearing like trench coats at one point or was that their wings? It was trench coats, right? <laughs> they were trying to blend in. Okay. That's that's what it is. 
Uh, I'm sorry, Tia. We are we a bad mouth in a movie that no, you really like? No, no, it's it's. <laughs> I mean, there there are things that really work for this movie, and there are other things that don't really add up a lot. And part of that is with the appearance, you know, because like it's mimicking its prey, which in this case is humans, and you know they even kind of go into the whole uh, kind of like the Leatherface aspect where you know the creatures are actually wearing human faces uh, to like mimic their appearance. But the problem is they only really uh, kind of like blend in when they're in the shadows as soon as they're in light obviously it's a fucking giant bug you know hybrid thing uh but regardless I, let's let's rewind a bit so children in this movie actually play a pretty vital role in uh, a yeah. couple of cases so here we have a story of uh, initially this deadly disease uh that is being carried by the cockroaches in manhattan uh, which is a strickler's disease and this disease has basically been claiming the lives of children. And you have uh, Dr. Peter Mann and the deputy director of the CDC uh, who turn to Dr. Susan Tyler for help. And this is where we get like the genetic engineering uh, to create this new bug called the Judas breed. And, you know, the Judas are like these large insects that release an enzyme. And, you know, we're, we're going to do the science bit really quick. Uh, that causes the cockroaches to increase their metabolism, which causes them to starve to death faster. Uh, and, you know, this, this entire experiment proves to be a success. It ends the disease. But, of course, it wouldn't have a movie if things didn't go awry in this case. Uh, so, you know, later on, we have, like, these couple of, like, Manhattan kids, uh, you know, hustling a little bit, trying to earn some cash. Uh, and they're selling bugs to Susan, uh, and, you know, they're just, like, picking them up in the subway or whatever, uh, and they have, like, the, quote, weird bug, uh, which turns out to be one of the bugs that they found in the subway, which was, uh, one of the more evolved Judas breed bugs. Uh, but, you know, I thought it was so funny because it's, like, you know... A lot better to be doing this than, like, these kids, like, slain in a rock or something, you know, like, on the side, you know? Which is something you would typically expect from, like, a city kid uh, in, like, a bad neighborhood. But I just thought it was interesting because, you know, of course, it's two young boys who are just enthralled with, like, these creepy crawlies. And they're just, like, stashing them away. And you have, like, the whole, uh, like, Susan bit who was, like, showing them, like, the ant colonies and, like the structure of it and like what the what the king is all the soldier ants and all this and that actually comes into play with the actual breed uh that was engineered because you know you do kind of have like these different hybrids uh unveiled later in the movie as the film progresses which i thought was pretty cool uh but i just thought it was a a, a very interesting take because you know you have the kids who first like introduce like hey like this shit is actually out there and then you also have uh, the, I want to say the grandson of the shoe shiner, who was really, like, the first to, like, help identify, like, the, the weird shoes man, or whatever he calls him in the movie, uh, who ends up, like, being, like, the main bad guy, essentially. He identifies him, but not to anybody. Mm -hmm. Just to himself. Like, right? They, they, he's not in, he's not used in any way to track him, right? He just gets kidnapped, and they go after him, and then they figure out that there's bugs. Mm-hmm. It sort of ties into how the first half of the movie feels like a different movie, where the first half of the movie is kind of this mystery detective story where there are these murders happening and they're investigating. On one hand, you have the investigation with young Josh Brolin and the husband. And then on the other hand, you have Mira investigating the bugs. And and you have equipped kind of these kind of cool scenes with the giant cockroach that sort of looks like a person that's lurking around, and it's like maybe they assume it's probably a person killing people, but of course, you know, they don't realize it's a bug at that point. It's all kind of like very like mystery story, science story, uh, and more cerebral than the second half, and I, I feel like. That, you know, I, I kind of lost the point I was going to make, other than the fact that I do have to make the point that the large cockroach, I did watch Batman recently, and I kept thinking how the way that he was depicted in the movie felt very much like Batman. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, yeah, I think you're right there. Which I know, I really felt like the first half of the movie was going for a different tone. And had that's the point I was going to make. It had a, it was extremely 90s. This is a very steeped in the 90s feeling movie. And I, I kept feeling like Mira and the husband who I kept thinking of as not David Duchovny, were sort of <laughs> like X-Files kind of this X-Files episode for the first half of the movie kind of feel. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he was, he was a little bit like poor man's David Duchovny, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that... Uh, oh, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that I did really like uh, some of the other castings. So I feel like that Giancarlo Giannini like, has been in some of his other movies. And that dude, nothing but the best, you know? Right. Um, nothing but the best. He's a great actor. What's that? He was in the uh, Silence of the Lambs sequel. He was really good at that one. And then, of course, we got him. Um, I'm reading them off the list. You, were, you mentioned Josh Brolin, which is really great. F. Murray Abraham was uh, also pretty great as well. But uh, he wasn't in there as much. He just got... You just got that body that he had to like sort of, you know, pretend uh, was completely, I don't know. It was, it was an insane, gigantic bug that somebody had to bring me like, what do you think of this? This is bad shit. Why are you bringing it to me? <laughs> <laughs> it's called the government. character, F. Murray Abraham. against our cast for sure. I thought it was funny. John Brolin's character felt like he was playing this kind of old been around the block, seen it all, cop, but he was, you know, clearly in his early twenties. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I thought he did well. Like he kept making jokes about to take poop off of the ceiling, <laughs> <laughs> which was kind of a nice touch. I like that. Yeah. Yep. I mean, you'd be surprised where you find shit nowadays. Just saying. Ah, <laughs> uh, so. Uh, Getting back to the Judas breed, basically, you know, it was created to mimic cockroaches to infiltrate, you know, mm-hmm. wherever they were nesting, kill them off. Uh, and, you know, as I said, like, this was a success. The plague had ended. Uh, and we're like three years after uh, all these kids have been getting killed. Uh, but the bugs who were supposed to be sterile kept evolving. Uh, and I want to say, like, in those three years, they said, like, they evolved like 2,000 years, basically. Uh, which, you know, it's, uh, quite a bit. Uh, now the bugs are much larger than the Judas. Uh, they've managed to multiply despite the fact that, uh, no mills were ever created. Uh, and, you know, we have eggs being uncovered when, uh, Josh and the MTA officer, uh, venture down into, you know, the depths of the city. Uh, and I have to say it, like, I... It's it's one of those things where it, it kind of like reminded me of like uh, Ninja Turtles, Secret of the Ooze, when they're like in the in the train station that you know eventually the becomes abandoned. their new pad. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because you got like this old trolley uh, in the subway I, <laughs> and everything. I feel just... like that every time there's a movie about uh you know the subway system in New York and and sewers, mm-hmm. that abandoned subway st- station comes up every time in different levels of decay. Mm-hmm. And in this one, though, I will say that I did appreciate in the mimic how uh, once you went underground, everything was filthy as mm-hmm. it should be. Mm-hmm. And I did get a bunch of, um, throughout the movie, I did get the instance, or just the just the creeps about how dirty everything was that they were touching. So um, kudos for that. That was I thought that was a nice touch. Because, you know, there's a lot of movies out there. It's like, we're in the subway system, or we're in the sewer system, and everything's just really nice down here. <laughs> and it had the signature Guillermo del Toro. Yes. Everything was blue and gold. Like yeah. they had gold glow sticks and, and the other, the color, the ambient color was blue. Yeah. And it, it reminded, because I'm, like I say, I'm a huge fan. And so I was, when they were in those underground areas with those uh, glow sticks and everything, I was thinking, okay, Elvoy, that we mm-hmm. did that with him in Hellboy, where we had the orange blue sticks and the and the subway, and also uh, another one too, where we uh, were down it, like down there in the subway with those glow sticks with another Del Toro movie, which I'm blanking on at the moment. Well, I feel like uh, one thing that I, I hate to call him out on anything because he's so awesome, but uh, one thing that I've noticed is that he will repeat 
ideas in different movies. So one of the biggest ones that I was like, I've seen that before. Uh, in Chronos, the the very first time I saw this in Chronos was when uh, uh, the instance where, of course, the, the grandpa is a vampire now and he doesn't know it, right? And um, he's in that bathroom, that really cool, awesome, glowy bathroom. And somebody has like, um, somebody has hurt their hand and there's a, a, a small amount of blood on the ground. Mm-hmm. And so, and he kneels and he licks it off the floor. But the whole way that it's done, it's so well because you get the sort of like sense of like, He's fighting humiliation because he's getting on his knees to lick a bathroom floor. And and he repeated that same thing in The Strain. And in The Strain, there was also a lot of... As I was watching The Mimic, I was like, man, there's you just get this like this really strong sense that you're watching like parts of The Strain as well. Or vice versa, I guess. But, um... So, yeah, sorry to, you know, like, he, he just... He tends to repeat some, some ideas in some of his movies and some of his work. And, um... I noticed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Sorry, <laughs> it's not necessarily bad. He's clearly has the things that he likes and wants to, you know, put in his yeah. movies. And I'm wondering if it's more like a, he's trying to perfect an idea. Yeah. Like and just gets more of it, a chance to repeat it again. It. Yeah. Definitely. Because even then, I mean, we've got the shape of water, right? So uh, some of those, um, well... I guess in the shape of water, there was just a lot of reminiscent shapes that uh, that were kind of repeated from uh, Hellboy and um, the character in there. That mm-hmm. was the I forget his name. What was his name? The fish guy. Oh, the fish <laughs> guy. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so I don't know, but I guess it's also kind of is pretty closely tied into what you would call a style. So mm-hmm. I shouldn't be so critical. Yeah. Definitely. Although I. Do- Visual style for sure. He has a distinctive visual style. Can you guys know a, a, a direct? I don't. I didn't look to see if the director of photography was the same guy, but he has a director of photography that he uses on just about every movie. Which is why he has that distinctive look too. But, but I want to call out the special effects too. Um, we that was raised earlier. The he does the smart thing. It's the early 90s, or not the early 90s, the late 90s, and we're getting close to computer animation. But he, he actually does the really smart thing that they did in uh, Jurassic Park, which I don't think had come out yet, which is that the effects are a mix. There's some CG bugs. There's some practical bugs. And I'm pretty sure I even saw a scene of... Uh, stop motion animation. Really? And, you know, on the bugs too. Yeah. So he kind of went with every you know possible version of the effects. With was with it the when bugs. the bugs are like sort of scratching at the window of that bus they're in? Because that was mm. a really I don't know. I thought that was a cool scene, like them and like looking around and those mm. things. I dug that. Definitely. Yeah, so, you know, with the bugs here, uh, as we talked about, you know, they are mimicking its prey, which in this case is humans. Uh, and they start to have, like, this human-like form in order to travel amongst people on the surface or, you know, just to find, uh, you know, people to uh, to march on for their survival. Uh, the problem with this is that it necessarily wasn't, like, a perfect match, you know? Like, sure, they were human-sized, uh, but, you know, they couldn't speak... Uh, they had trouble forming uh, a face capable of blending in. So, you know, you kind of got like the whole uh, kind of like split in like, OK, I have this drawing and I split it into half. And, you know, we'll just piece it together and like, oh, there you go. Like this is clo- close enough resembling a face, but kind of not really. <laughs> so like that's that's like my biggest gripe with the movie. It's like obviously, OK, you have this predator. Uh, bug and you know yes it can go on the surface but it's very obvious as soon as you step out into any form of light that oh this is not an actual human being so there's a lot of shadows at play in here and obviously a lot of it takes place in the dark with the subways and and everything so it's just one of those things where you know I I thought consider that they evolved for 2000 years you know you think that they would have gotten it right enough and not just be like, it kind of works, you know? Because that's a very long time to evolve in just three years. 
It's only been three years, T. But it's they they evolved two thousand years. I haven't even evolved that much in three years. Uh, Otis, but I guess I get you that they that was sped up. You were gonna say something, John? That was the thing I wish they had spent more time on and that the story had focused more on was the idea of this human-sized... And I kind of wish there was only one, in a way, that there's this human-sized cockroach that's imitating being a human and it's able to imitate it well enough that it can take human victims and have that kind of be the focus of the story and have sort of a cool mystery story where they think they're pursuing a person and then they find out that it's actually this bug. It's a cockroach in a trench coat. And not 10,000 cockroaches in a trench coat. <laughs> oh, no. Which could have also been a movie. That, that would have been it if does. it was three years earlier. before. That's before. right. Yeah, or, you know, just that same day. <laughs> and I Later. wonder if that wasn't the intent. I wonder if that wasn't the intent at some point in the process, you know, creation of this movie. Because... I do, I don't want to jump in too much, but I do feel like the second half, once we kind of get, or really most of the second half, the third act, it kind of becomes basically what I kind of think of as just, it was aliens, but with, you know, in a subway with cockroaches instead of in space with an alien. Uh, if I even did, and I want to call out too early the whole, you know, never away from her, you bitch, uh, line in the end ah. with the big cockroach. It did happen. I was going to move on and talk a little bit about the kids, because, you know, at the end of the movie, they're they're trying so hard to uh, save, what's his face? Hold on a second. Is it Jeremy? No. Uh, the main kid? Yeah. The spoon man. The spoon man. Oh well, but they're they're you know they're they're going after him. They're trying to save him. Which incidentally, like, how was he not killed to begin with, right? Because he just was able to do the spoon sounds, and they're like, he's cool. I mean, he's one of their babies, but whatever. We've been eating these guys all along, but this one's cool. But uh, um, I will say that I, <laughs> I did think it was pretty bold. Uh, there was a, a jump scare early on with Mira Servino, and then the in the back of my brain, I was like, it's Mira Servino's character. She's gonna be fine. Nothing's going to happen to her. And then the next scene, or soon after, there was a scene where the two little kids in the in the subway system, you know, trying to uh, find some more bugs. Mm -hmm. And it, they get totally killed. <laughs> and, uh, that was surprising because that usually doesn't happen, right? That's a cardinal rule. And uh, But well, then back, at the end of the movie, it was... was. Huh? Back then it was. Back I mean, it's, it was. it's been broken a lot more. But yeah, it still throws true, you true. off guard. Yeah. It throws you off guard because you feel like, oh, they're going to be able to somehow manage to get away. Not these guys. But then later on in the movie, you know, when they're trying to save the other little kid, I'm just thinking like, so nobody cares about the other two that got eaten? Is nobody going to look after those guys? No? All right. <laughs> it was just kind of interesting. Kind of like, I did feel like they, they created these like real characters and then killed them off, wherein traditional horror movies the the people who get killed off tend to sort of be the random side characters but it was you know josh brolin gets killed and uh the two kids get killed it's people who you think are going to be main characters in the yeah story. which is and, good uh, which is interesting mm -hmm. yeah yep, yep. yeah i didn't really understand why the bug never ate the uh the little autistic kid i and i, I think i wonder if part of it was because of the spoons, it was kind of like mimicking the sound that the cockroaches made. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if, like, it mistook it as something that that's, you know was I a bug, yeah. Um, yeah. which I thought was interesting. Um, yeah. But you know, one of the scenes that I I thought could have been done better, and this is uh, one of the kill scenes, is at one point someone is getting dragged into uh, the like drain? through the road into the storm drain, and you kind of see man? the like movement back and forth to like cut the guy into multiple pieces but just the way that it's done where you know you just see him swaying back and forth yeah it's just it it shouldn't have really been a clean cut <laughs> in that sort of situation but it's just like it also just it 
it should have went on longer and just not been as clean because like obviously there's not a lot of movement actually happening uh in the storm drain but i just thought it could have been done better but i i always like the idea of like you know reaching into the darkness and not knowing what's on the other side and there's a few moments uh in the movie that kind of like play off of that fear uh, but i think like in regards to like the actual film shots my favorite is when like uh, you know, the girl, like, Susan is, like, in the subway, and you, she's looking above her, and, like, she sees, like, the little overhead, and she's able to see people, like, walking right above her, just, like, going on with their day, and not being able to hear her at all, even though she's, like, right underground. And that's just always, like, a, a fear, like, that people have, like, you know, you're calling out for help, but, like, no one can actually hear you. Yeah, I, no, no, that was absolutely good. And I do think there was a, an effort to sort of minimize the gore. A lot of the gore that happened was um, well uh, assumed and then just bug horror where you're like, she's tearing the bug's innards and rubbing them on her so that they don't smell her. But, uh, and if you remember that, I think that first scene, the opening scene where the, the man, the little man is like running away from the bug and from the big bug in the trench coat <laughs> and he falls off the side of a building and as he hits the ground there's some like paint that is splattered and essentially the he dies but the paint the paint splatter which is white is is uh is a substitute for blood which yeah. might be foreshadowing for like bug blood and stuff like that but um but i thought that was interesting and i thought it was a really interesting way to curb you mm -hmm. know gore which, you know, can be as interesting as just straight-up gore a lot of times. Well, if I'm not mistaken, I think this movie might have been PG-13 when it came out. I have a feeling the director's cut is probably unrated just because they didn't send it through the ratings board system. But I think when it came out, it could be wrong, we can always check, but it, that it was PG-13. And so that's probably why it's pretty curbed on the... On the in terms of actual blood, even though there's definitely some gore and violence and creepy stuff going on. Look it up. What was it? The theatrical release. Uh, hold on. They really like. I'm a fan. While while T looks that up, I'm a fan of the TV show community, and mm -hmm. one of the episodes of that show they make fun of the concept of the like autistic savant character that appears constantly in older you know, movies from that era. And it definitely reminded me, it was like directly out of that, the way that they had that character acting in the movie. Mm -hmm. It was a uh, rated R. Oh, rated R. Interesting. Mm -hmm. It is a really bloodless movie. When you think about it, it has, uh, there's a lot of like, uh, oh, no, there was some blood. The uh, what's his name's character, the cop. Oh, um, in the movies and TV shows. Charles Dutton, I believe. Charles S. Dutton, and it's he played Leonard. He was pretty bloodied up. His leg was pretty mangled. By the... Yeah, and he like had the leg that was scene that he put up on the on the mirror, but. Uh, but yeah, relatively bloodless movie, although pretty violent. But yeah, once they got into the subway and the action started, I, I feel like things took a little bit of a turn down at that point because I liked the movie. I kind of like the movie overall. I'm a fan of Del Toro, of course, but uh, it really felt like Aliens at that point, where it was kind of like you have the kid. And she's going to take care of the kid and you have the monsters and they're trying to get, you know, from point A to point B without getting killed by the cockroaches. Right. And it gets a little bit more standard at that point. But yeah, I like well, the, the, the potential of super breeding or lots of like, you know, new ones being, you know, put out into the onto the planet. But you have to like burn them alive and do it in one fell swoop kind of thing, which is pretty typical. Kill them all with fire trope. Yeah, yeah, the very yeah. stereotypical, like, Godzilla move with the eggs being like, all right, let's light this bitch up. <laughs> I also did find it uh, interesting that, you know, like, one of the quirks of uh, the cop was, you know, when he's nervous, he sings. And they made a pretty big deal about, like, hey, shut up. <laughs> like, they can hear you. Like, they know that we're here. 
who doesn't seem to draw them away from the other characters to help them, which is cool. But, uh, it it, ran the. Is that gonna say? (laughs) Oh, well, while you uh, think of that, I thought that was, uh, we kind of didn't talk about the part where, um, Susan uh, is first. She's she first gets her very first bug when the little kids drop it off, and it's like a like she's like oh it's just a baby and she's holding it and then she sticks her hand directly into like its mandibles, of course yeah. gets bitten, and then very angrily like sticks it with like you know a pin to keep it down. I was like, aren't you like supposed to be into bugs? Like I don't understand the behavior right now. You stick your hand right into its craw and then like get really angry at it when it bites you. I was going to bring that up, actually. The, the, she's holding that bug, and it has spikes for legs. And she's like, Put your hand next to it. And then it, of course, I was like, what did you think was going to happen? Like, entomologist are you? Yeah, because, like, you don't really have an idea of, like, how big the bug actually is. Like, obviously, when she's doing her work, she hears the rattling of the, like, cereal box. Obviously, like, whatever's in there is still alive. But, like, the kids had, like, covered it in, like, uh, discarded newspaper that was, like, right. crumpled up. So she had to, like, dig for it a little bit uh, in, in that like, case. Sticking her, just sticking her hand in there, fishing around aimlessly for some random... For, for a mystery bug that she has no idea what... Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm like, what school did you go to? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if she just stabs it to death on the thing. It's like, okay, I guess you don't need it alive or anything. <laughs> and how were you trusted with developing like a genetically modified cockroach? Like I said, I, I, I it was there's a crazy science scientist thing going on that I didn't really get. Mm-hmm. It also do another thing I have to complain, not to totally bag on this movie, but they would have characters like the cop character, Josh Brolin, just not be around for 10 minutes of the movie, and then they would cut to a scene where he's there again. And I would literally have moments where it was like, oh, I forgot he was in this movie. <laughs> Josh Brolin was, a, I thought he was like an assistant to the CDC dude. Yeah. Josh Brolin? Yeah. Isn't he like a police detective? I thought. I could be wrong, but I thought he was like a. I thought he, they were detecting, but they were detecting what was going on with the butt. Like, maybe I'm wrong. No, he was, yeah, he was he working was, with the CDC. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was a little confused by what the two guys were doing. Because he kept collecting like, parts of. Every time he was doing something, he was doing something gross, which is pretty funny. And then he had one of the more gruesome deaths, but you don't get to see it either. Because you, you get the sense that he's been split in half, but you only see the top half and a little bit of blood coming out of his mouth. Indeed. I'm sad. I wanted to see him make it. But would the movie have been better if it was a thousand cockroaches in a trench coat and not just one uh, big cockroach? And they all kind of moved in, like, you know, in the synchronized motion, mm-hmm. like, in and out of the... Uh... <laughs> yeah, they had a whole routine. You know, they practiced in front of the mirror and everything. You know what? I'm going to say yes. <laughs> I think Lothar would have done a crazy awesome movie if that was the case. I did also like how they you know, set off that explosion underground that killed all of the bugs. And you get that cool scene where all the, uh, um, the street manholes are blowing out. And every, there's chaos in the streets and everything. All the explode like our main characters were all right there in the in the midst of those explosions, but were all completely fine and unburned and undamaged by the explosion. Well, I mean, Doctor Peter Mann had uh, jumped into some sort of weird under under the sewer underwater area. I don't know what that is. So that's what saved him. Although I'm sure he came out with like all sorts of different diseases from being in that water. And I don't know how many are serving him. Well, the, they survived, I guess, because they were on the tracks already. They weren't in the sewer anymore. She kind of did one of those action movie explosion dives. Oh, where... that's right. <laughs> there was an where I thought to myself, her hair didn't get singed in that. But yeah. But I did appreciate the fact that they showed all of the chaos on the surface. 
Because normally in a movie you would have that explosion under there that kills everything, but they probably wouldn't really bother to show yeah. you above ground. And they, I like that he went out of his way to show that it was complete chaos in New York as mandibles are blowing out everywhere. Yeah, instead of and it, it just, just being like self-contained. They're going to have to adopt that spoon kid. It just occurred to me. Okay. Yeah, they, yeah. Well, that's, they have that Aliens 2 moment where uh, when the subway's coming and the, the, uh, the, the male cockroach is going to kill the little kid and she's like, get away from him. And then she dives out of the way and the, the subway runs over the cockroach and the kid survives. And I like how she had to make a point. Oh, it's the male. Uh-huh. We talked about this. He doesn't have any wings. That's the whole point. He's got to walk around. <laughs> Look, a pedestrian. He is a pedestrian. Oh, my God. But, uh... I was just gonna say, there's no rhyme or reason as to how when the bugs will move fast and when they won't. It's like, right now I'm gonna kill everybody. It's gonna be super quick. Other times I'm gonna think about it. I'm gonna look around. Act like a human serial killer. <laughs> Maybe it's part of the evolution. Yeah. There we go. Wrote it off. Never mind. <laughs> like, I would put this on the writing of the movie, but I was a little disturbed by how unfazed the little kid was by the death of his father or grandfather. How he was just kind of like, okay, we're my new parents now. Hi. I'm like, Hi, Mira. Guess you're my new mom. Bothered. I'm going to need some new spoons soon. <laughs> it's kind of the origin of the spoon man from the Soundgarden video. <laughs> yeah, plus there's that moment too where like Susan finds the kid and he just looks up and he's just like friends, and then the bug appears right behind her. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And were they friends? Were they? I mean, were they feeding him? I mean, he hasn't been gone for that long, I guess. But with them for sure. Well, that's the thing, though. He couldn't really communicate. He could mimic. Mm -hmm. Ooh, titular title. But uh, he didn't know what they were saying to begin with. So all he was doing was making noises that sounded like their speech patterns, which they were cool with. I get it. But it's not like they were... They all, At best, I'd be like, well, he sounds like us, although he's speaking nonsense. <laughs> I don't know. Let's take him to a second location as opposed to just letting him go. And also, uh, that reminds me because of the whole, you know, rubbing that they would remove, like, the glands. Oh, right. Was reminding me of Walking Dead as well. I believe they, uh, yeah. they, they had that whole thing in Walking Dead yeah. with Norman Reedus, of course. And also, Norman Reedus appears in uh, Blaine 2, which is another Guillermo del Toro movie. Uh, but he's he amused. Later. Also pre-Walking Dead. He's, I think he's kind of one of those actors that Guillermo del Toro likes and likes to put in his movies. I wish I was one of those actors that Guillermo del Toro likes and puts in all of his movies. That'd be nice. Yeah, there's my, uh, what's his name? The guy who plays Hellboy. I'm kind of surprised he didn't. Ron Perlman? Yeah, Ron Perlman. Ron Perlman was in Chronos, right? Yeah, he's actually in some of those old Del Toro movies, and he was popular in the 90s. I was sort of surprised he didn't show up in this one. But again, yeah, no, this movie was so 90s, as I said before. It, it's so extremely 90s. Like, there's such a specific feel to it. Yeah. Where it just, like, it was, like, a crazy nostalgia feeling that I... Because I'm more of an 80s kid. is more my era. But... Um, it really gave me nostalgic feelings watching this because there's such a strong, like, 90s movie feel to it. And it came out, what, like a year before Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the, the series. So that's a little side note. It doesn't really tie in, but I'm just connecting all the dots for when I was 15 and 16. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to point out that this movie came out before uh, Jurassic Park, but it has its own... Uh, Life will find a way, or nature will find oh, a way. Oh, yeah. Speech yeah. That, uh, F. Murray Abraham gives, which is very similar to the speech in Jurassic Park from Jeff Goldblum. What the hell's going on in the late 90s? Life will find a way. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
science science believe. went too far you know in both cases ah yes man metals with with <laughs> science with uh, with nature yeah, but nature you can't play way. god you know you can't play god it's probably that classic hollywood monster like if you mess with if science messes with nature then a, the result is always a monster <laughs> you know you always get a giant version a big version of whatever it is that science messes with. <laughs> giant ants, giant women, giant... That one doesn't seem so bad, but okay. <laughs> Alright, so yeah. uh, anything else in regards to maybe you guys want to talk about, or uh, should we wrap things up? Yeah, what about anything with the end of this movie? Didn't they do a, like, a Five months later, or did I? Am I am I imagining something else? Because I also did watch Fresh, and I think I don't. Want, I want to make sure I didn't. I don't think there was a five months later, but there was just to connect back to the weird inserted pregnancy story. Mm -hmm. In the last shot of the movie, when the husband hugs Mira Sorvino, his face is facing away from the camera, and there's this overdubbed line where he says. You're pregnant. You're oh. pregnant. <laughs> like, what? I'm going to blame that on the Weinsteins, too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it feels like, feels like some weird, messed up version of Aliens where Sigourney Weaver has, has, in that story, she has a daughter who she finds out has aged and died. And then when she meets the young girl during the adventure, she sort of adopts the young girl and she becomes mm. like her daughter. It sort of felt like they were trying to do something like that with the young boy, but it didn't work because she was pregnant and she lived and they adopted him seemingly. And so I don't know, <laughs> but it was a little odd. It was a little odd. But the conversations were cool. Anything else we can? I'm trying to think of what else uh, I noted. The big coverages were good, were well done. We kind of touched yeah. on that. You see them a lot at the end of the movie, and they're the bigger ones are well done. And I have to say, you know, at the beginning, while they're being real shy about bringing them out, it does build up a, a, a desire to see, like, out of the shadows, give me the gross stuff. I want to see it. And then they do deliver, you know, you do get a couple of scenes where Mir's from, you know, is like digging into the abdomen of a, of a freaking bug. And then you get a lot of like, well, that one scene where uh, the doctor, uh, Peterman, Dr. Peterman, Peterman, Dr. Peterman. Sorry. Hold on. Okay, here we go. <laughs> His first name is Peter. His last name is man. It's Peterman. Okay. I don't know why that bothers me so much. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah. So... That scene where he's like rubbed himself down with the with the bug juice, and then uh, the bugs walking by him and like doesn't see he's there, and they're like face to face, you know, and, it, and it's you know real close that he might sense he's there and kill him, but moves along, and then like he just rubs some more on his face, which is kind of funny. But uh, that was cool. I mean, I like that because you get a really close look, and it's you know they're gross. And there was a funny scene, too, where uh, Mira Servino and him and the husband are having sort of a romantic scene, and she's sort of romantically rubbing the bug juice on his face while they talk. <laughs> it's so odd, because she's very, it's, like, very sensual the way that she's doing it, and it's like, you're rubbing, like, bug bile on his face. I do like that she's not shy about it. She's just like, yep, here we go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you see that in movies, a lot of people are like, what is this? And they're like, webs of, like, goo are always... That's always kind of fun. Nice. New York cockroaches. That's like, it's sort of like that, uh, you know, the um, urban myth. There's always urban myths about things living in the New York subways, like giant alligators and things like that. Del Toro definitely has a, a, you know, he's sweet on New York for sure. I mean, the, all of his movies basically, like, The Strain is also set in New York, and um, I think even the, the Shape of Water as well, or am I wrong about that? Mm -hmm. Sounds right. How is in New Jersey? I, uh, <laughs> I wonder why they haven't genetically engineered any cockroaches to, uh, to kill off any of the problems in the sewers, like the rats. I'm trying really hard not to think about that. <laughs> 
Sorry. <laughs> I haven't seen a cockroach in a while. <laughs> I think the last time I saw one was uh, walking around like uh, just a, an older part of town with lots of restaurants. And then it really creeps you out when you see a big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was in uh, the jungle of Hawaii and saw a cockroach that was probably, you know, <laughs> three, four inches around, basically. It was huge. And you sure it wasn't like a beetle of some sort? It was a cockroach? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, a, it was a roach. It could it fly? Because that's the other horror yeah, that... Yeah, it did. <laughs> mm. What's the thing kind of a cult? This movie seems to have really developed a cult following too. Like it wasn't, I don't think, a big hit when it came out, but a lot of people definitely are into this movie now. You know, seems like it's as Del Toro became a more popular director, this one kind of got swept up with the rest of his and kind of became popular mm-hmm. because of that, because of who made it. It definitely has his imprint on it. It feels like a Del Toro movie. It does. I mean, there's some there's some parts that are stronger than others, but there's yeah, I I agree that there were definitely some scenes where it really comes across strongly, and I and I really appreciated that. Like I mentioned before, the the water treatment um, scene with all the guys cleaning those pipes and and those rubber trench coats or whatever you want to call them. I'm like, hmm, Del Toro. Absolutely. So uh, we're basically going to be going from creepy crawlies and cockroaches in this one to uh, something that might hit a little bit closer to home for some people uh, next week with Holly's pick for the month. So, Holly, why don't you uh, briefly talk about what we'll be doing next week? So we're doing the Ashley Judd, Michael Shannon movie, Bug. And I believe that came out in 2006. I'll have to double check that, but it's true. Okay, perfect. And this one is more about codependence and addiction. So I do remember just feeling a little broken inside after watching this the first time. So let's enjoy that. I I saw this in the theater when it back when it came out. Did you out. cry a little in front of people in front of strangers? Yeah. I didn't. It didn't make me sad in that way, but it was definitely. I need to watch it again. I haven't watched it yet for the podcast, but I remember it was disturbing. It was one of those movies that I came where you I came out of the movie and it it like stuck with me for a while after seeing it where I just felt it's kind dark. of you know but I remember like you know it's uh I uh, I think both of those actors are really great actors and um but I don't think they're like Oscar winners though right but with the subject matter and their acting chops like you you get really sucked in and it's 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 a little devastating so we'll have a nice cry Mm-hmm. And we'll be here for each other. We'll be. It'll be. This will be a safe space, and you know, <laughs> we're gonna tackle bug feelings. Yeah, feelings. I, I, I honestly don't know if I've seen this one or not. I'll let you guys oh. know uh, when I watch it. Um, because there have been there. There are a lot of movies with similar titles, right? Uh, and you know, it's it's just kind of one of those that could easily be a different one. So. Yes. For some reason, I associate. I think I may. They may have come out at a similar time, but for some reason, I associate this movie bug with uh, the signal. Which have you ever seen that movie? That where was Marky uh, Mark or Mel Gibson? No, it's a more independent one where there's a signal coming through the TV and radio that drives everybody crazy. Oh, I was thinking sing a uh, single or no. <laughs> Never mind, let's move on. There's <laughs> another movie similar to this one that kind of deals with sanity and, and reality and things like that in a re- kind of more real way where it's disturbing, you know? Yeah, I, I want to say that one came out in like 2007. So, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But yeah, I'm looking forward to watching Bug again for sure. So that was a bug from 2006 directed by William uh, Friedkin. So that'll be next week's topic. Uh, and then we'll circle to uh, a more, I don't know if I would, I would say uplifting movie, but definitely one that has more uh, comedic aspects as it is an actual B movie uh, in stud, which is 
an entertaining movie. <laughs> I've not seen that, so definitely forward. But, you know, guys, in the meantime, if you guys are looking to uh, get a hold of us on social media and whatnot, you can find all of our content over on YouTube at Handle with Scare Pod. You can find us over on Twitter at Handle with Scare. You can email the show at Handle with Scare Pod at gmail.com. And don't forget, starting on our next episode, which will be, you know, next Wednesday, uh, we'll be live on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Handle with Scare. Uh, but, you know, until then, guys, thank you so much for joining us tonight for another episode of Handle with Scare. This has been episode 55, discussing Guillermo del Toro's Mimic. I've been your host, Tumbley Drunk, joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Holly Hooch and John. And we'll see you next week. You guys have a good one. <laughs>